I want to start by thanking you as a church for your partnership with us in the ministry that God has entrusted to us. It's a privilege and it's a motivation for thanksgiving in prayer for you and others that partner with us. Uh, and that is a, a routine part of my uh, uh, praise of God uh, in a personal quiet time. I would mention uh, too that in back at the table, there's a table set up with a display. Uh, you can see some things there. Uh, you can also uh, please take prayer cards and sign up for prayer letters. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet there. So uh, those things are available to you. Let me ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 7, 31 and following. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that uh, you are gracious to us. You, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with, uh, with the blessed fellowship that you have uh, in the three persons of the Trinity, the God of love, showering love upon us, welcoming, welcoming us into your presence to fellowship with you and with one another. What a privilege. May your word then speak to our hearts and may we not feel that we are out at sea without direction because you have certainly given us direction in your word. We thank you and praise you for it. We ask this, that we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, please, and be grateful that I remembered, because out of sight, out of mind. Uh, <laughs> you know, the Bible shows us, beyond a, a shadow of a doubt, that it is God's word. Uh, the Holy Spirit confirms this in our hearts. I was nine years old when I was given in a non-Christian home the New Testament in Braille. I began reading it, and I believed it. I didn't understand the gospel yet, but I believed it was God's word. 
At 12, I was given the Old Testament in Braille. This is significant because you see the Bible in Braille is in, in English is 18 volumes. And they're big volumes. So uh, the importance of seeing the Bible as God's word. What's more, we know that all scripture is useful to bring us forward in the ongoing work of, of God in our lives, as was recently prayed, to make us more and more uh, like Jesus. If uh, we are honest, though, we have to say that we do read some texts and say, okay, Lord, how does this help me today? How does it impact my church's life today, for, for some perhaps, this might be true of even the miracles of Jesus. You know they're true. You know that they show that Jesus is the Messiah, but that's well established for you. You know that they show that God has a heart of compassion. Fine, but is there more? And I would say emphatically, yes, there is. Now, the, it's always good to know the neighborhood. Everybody likes to know the neighborhood, but it's good to know the neighborhood of the passage you're reading. It appears in, in between passages of compassion. Uh, you have the healing of uh, the Gentile woman's daughter, and then you have uh, our passage, and after that, the feeding of the 4,000. So... This is the neighborhood, or the barrio, if you like. But before and after these passages of compassion are passages of opposition and disbelief. And I trust that we would respond to the compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ and not respond with disbelief toward him. Now, we would do well to ask ourselves three questions. What does this teach me about God? What does it teach me about Jesus? And what does it teach me about me? These are questions that can be asked in any sermon or any study of the word. Another thing to, to uh, put in the back of our minds is the fact that Jesus was uh, re-entering Galilee after having gone away on a retreat with his disciples. Uh, this will be useful information in a little while. So just hold on to that, re-entering Galilee. We want to see a few things here. We want to see that Jesus com uh, is compassionate, it, it, even his wisdom is compassionate. We want to also be able to understand that he is addressing consequences, consequences of a disability, and that Jesus is compassionate in, in his uh, provision as well. We want to see those things and more. In verse 32, then, we, we see that uh, the man was brought to Jesus, and uh, he, uh, they ask uh, ask him to, to lay a hand on him. 
But we see that Jesus does something most unusual. Before we see that unusual thing that he does, let's just put ourselves in the deaf person's shoes. Very little communication. Perhaps there's some rudimentary communication <coughs> with his, uh, with his, um, <coughs> uh, his uh, family but very little communication, and he finds himself in the midst of a crowd. And in the midst of that crowd, he's being pushed forward in a particular direction till he gets to a man, gets to Jesus. Doesn't know what's going on. It has to be frightening. It really had to be frightening. But what does Jesus do? What Jesus does is very interesting. Watch how he deals with the needs of a deaf person. You see, the example, uh, the, the negative example I can give you of how people deal with the needs of a blind person is most every time I go to an airport, whether it's in Chile or in uh, the United States or when I traveled to Cambodia and found myself in in uh, uh, Qatar, everybody wants you to sit in a wheelchair. I can walk. I have sciatica. That is true. But I can walk. And after hours on an airplane, or knowing that I'm going to be on an airplane for hours, I want to walk. And it's really hard to get through to these people that, no, uh, that wheelchairs are, are for some people with certain disabilities, but not for everybody. Well, Jesus is a whole lot smarter than the special assistance departments of the airports. And he understands the consequences of any particular disability. And so we see what he does. He actually is going to use what? What are the consequences for a deaf person? Communication becomes incommunication, right? Can't hear, can't speak. So what does he do? He speaks sign language. That's what he does. He takes the man aside in the first place. I just mentioned that briefly, that he takes him aside because he's not interested in a big show. Jesus doesn't have a pension for the spectacular. He takes him aside from the crowd, and he, then he uh, privately, and, and there he, he does this strange thing. He sticks his fingers into his ears. Oh, if you're the deaf person, you're thinking, something to do with my ears. And after spitting, touched his tongue. That's weird. Something to do with my tongue. And then looking up, oh, he's praying. Now, understand that Jesus, the very Son of God, God and man, is praying to the Father. Because Jesus didn't do anything on earth in his own strength. 
He didn't pull out the God card, if you will, to do whatever he wanted. He prayed to the Father. And he depended on the Spirit. It was the Spirit that guided him into the wilderness and that sustained him after the, the temptations of, of, by Satan and all of that stuff. And if Jesus depends on the Father and the Spirit, how much more should we depend on the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? So Jesus is looking to heaven. He's praying. And then he does something. It says two words here. And here's the gospel in a nutshell. It says, he sighed. You see, the condition, it wasn't just that he felt sorry for this deaf person. The condition of mankind ever since the fall has been a mess. Sin and misery is the description given to it by the uh, Westminster Confession of Faith. Sin and misery. Now, for a long time, people have viewed those with disabilities or uh, people who have been sick or have experienced some kind of misfortune as abnormal. Different things happen in our lives. We lose relatives. Different things happen in our lives. And and we view those things as exceptional, and we even ask, oh, have you gotten back to normal yet? There isn't, a new, there isn't a normal. There's only a new normal that embraces the whole that has been created. But the truth of the matter is, what I'm saying is that all of these things are very normal things in an abnormal world. It's the world that's abnormal. It's not abnormal to have the cloudy days. It's not abnormal to have storms. It's the world that is abnormal because of sin. Not that any one person is more sinful than another. So this is the state of mankind. Jesus sighed because of the state of mankind. It's the black of the blackboard on which the white chalk was applied when some of us were kids. Today, they don't know anything about that. But that's another matter. The blackboard, it's the black. It is the, the, the state of our situation in the human race on which the gospel is written. But the gospel depends on whom? It depends on Jesus Christ. The healing of this man would depend on Jesus going to the cross. It is no wonder that Jesus sighed. He sighed. There's the gospel. That our Lord went to the cross for us. Not only that a man would be physically restored, but that 
any of us, by God's grace, would gain ears to hear. And that's the spiritual side of things. But I, I, I think it's very important to understand. Yes, the gospel speaks of having ears to hear, eyes to see. It speaks of, of uh, being made alive again. Instead of being just dead in our trespasses and sins. It speaks of, of, of uh, being able to get up and, and walk. Walk in the, in the Lord. This is the spiritual side of things, if you will, but don't, don't hasten to just see that. See the physical. Jesus is dealing with the man at a physical level, and it's important. And ministry has to address all of the different aspects of people, the spiritual, the emotional, and the physical. And then, so Jesus then speaks and he says, be opened. Now, how does anybody know that the man was actually healed? How do you know? Well, you say the Bible tells me, of course, but what part of the text gives you to understand that it really did happen? It says his ears were opened and his tongue was loosed or released. But it's, it says he spoke plainly. Now, the fact that he spoke plainly is very interesting. People knew because they saw the consequences of the disability eliminated. That's what happened. The consequences of being deaf in this case were eliminated. And so the man could talk. He could understand when somebody asked him a question and he could answer that question. And he spoke. I dare say he spoke with a Galilean accent. Didn't speak English, that's for sure. And he was in that part of the country called Galilee, and Jesus had just entered there. So, yeah, he spoke with a Galilean accent. Now, he didn't have to go and get all kinds of, of uh, training and vocabulary and speech and all of that stuff. That was, all of that was completely given to him. Just like the man in, in uh, Acts chapter 3 at the gate, beautiful, stands up and he walks and leaps and praises God. Well, how did he do that? Because, and without a, uh, a physical therapist, God eliminated the consequences of the disability. This is what we see happening completely eliminates the consequences of the disability. Now, thinking in terms of the gospel applied, applied to us personally and applied to the church, I really believe that we tend to evangelize people like ourselves. We're comfortable with that. As individuals, we tend to reach out to people like ourselves. But do we reach out to people with different backgrounds? People that might have, for example, a disability. 
I mentioned in the Sunday school time that uh, 20% of Americans have a disability, but 90% of them are in no church. So that means that 18 out of every 100 people that you could gather together are passed over by the church. Unreached. Those are compelling statistics. They come from Johnny and Friends, by the way. The interesting thing then is to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he comes into our life, this is what we want to take elsewhere. We want to take to other people. But are we willing to really be missionaries? The Lord challenged me on that when I was in Chile this last term because I really had a hard time communicating to engineers. It's not my background. Liberal arts, that was my background. And speaking and letting people figure things out type thing, that's what you do in Chile. It's indirect. With engineers, you've got to say it flat out in your face. They get it, but they want to know, what do you expect of me? So, that's what I had to do in that context. So the Lord challenged me, be a missionary. The Lord challenges all of us to be a missionary and go to people that are different from us. Now, how does this play out in terms of a church? We're thinking about the fact that Jesus eliminated the consequences, but we can, we can reduce the consequences in Jesus' name of a disability. Maybe there's a, uh, somebody that has to stay home because their, their relative has some debilitating situation and they can't be left alone. And so perhaps the wife stays with the husband at home and never gets to church, never gets out to get a haircut. Or perhaps the husband and wife are home taking care of a child and they never really get to go out on a date. And if you can help, you're minimizing the effects of that, of the consequences of that disability for a little bit of time. Somebody comes here in a wheelchair and somebody else comes behind and pushes the chair and puts it in a place that is not out in the aisle so that the person doesn't feel odd and a spectacle minimizing the consequences of a disability. You have seen, uh, you have seen uh, uh, how uh, Ron has uh, uh, loaned me a shoulder and I've gone sighted guide in an area that I don't know how to direct my dog. And so he has minimized the consequences of a disability. When we teach braille to the blind or the use of a cane or the use of a computer or a cell phone minimizing the consequences of a disability but do it in Jesus name you say I don't want to use a cane because I see beggars and I'm not a beggar God has made you in his image and you're no less made in his image now 
that you've lost your sight as before. So, your use of the cane is simply lending that dignity to something that is not sinful. If you lend that dignity to something that is abhorrent to God, that is sin. But the dignity that you have as a creature made in God's image, that's the basis for using the cane then, if you need to. You see, there's a, a gospel application, applying the gospel to all of life and the fact that while others may pass you by because you have some kind of difficulty and they may look, and may look askance at you, to, for you to know that Jesus Christ died for you, your dignity is not based on how other people treat you. That's why we get in fights, because we feel offended. They've offended our dignity. But your dignity is not based on that. It's based on the fact that Christ made you in his image, and you, he has saved you, and he loved you, and died for you. So how does the church then apply this? How do, how do we handle it? I believe that uh, we can do, uh, take, uh, take a, uh, a little bit of a, a hint from uh, this group in Chile, Gospel 360, that uh, they, they are beginning to learn. But uh, let, me, let me put it this way. I'll, I'll cite a, a people in Cuba. And the two times I went to Cuba. On a Saturday, to find myself in Camagüey in the afternoon in a communist country, with 90 people with disabilities in a worship service led by all these people with disabilities. What did that say? Who knows 90 people with disabilities but 54 different churches that can't even sing the same hymn together can cooperate on reaching out to people with disabilities, some to the deaf, some to the blind, some to those in wheelchairs, some to those with autism or whatever. And in Cuba, the Christians are doing it. And they don't have two cents to rub together. Where are we? Are we reaching out? Jesus did. It was part of his ministry and his disciples were with him watching him do all this stuff. And we as church then, should we not be disciples of Jesus? And to the degree that we can then, in his name, minimize the consequences of the disabilities... We are showing that Christ is the Messiah and that God has a heart of compassion. Just a couple, uh, a couple thoughts here. Uh, the, the final verses, of course, really raised the question as to what, uh, what the crowd's understanding was. Jesus uh, had urged them not to tell anybody, but they did. And, and then it says in verse 37, they were astonished beyond measure. But is astonishment, is crying during the sermon or anything else all that God wants? Or does he want our hearts? Does he want changes in our lives? I'm not saying that everyone that was astonished was an unbeliever. But I'm, 
I don't think Jesus was really impressed that they were astonished. His reaction was, oh, you of little faith. Why should you be astonished? We should be acting in the spirit of the miracles then. And that is uh, by addressing the consequences in Jesus' name. And I believe that that can be done on a city-wide basis with different churches. You know people in different churches, and those churches and this church could cooperate. Some doing uh, one particular disability, uh, disability, for example, or another. And it's not just disabilities. We're talking about uh, ministry to different groups of people uh, that, uh, that in Jesus' day were considered outside of the reach of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, no. As a matter of fact, Jesus said something in Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And I believe that includes the people that the church today passes over, must be reached. Whoever they are, disabilities or no, the people the church passes over must be reached with the gospel. And we should have as a, as a vision in our mind something that uh, comes from the book of Revelation. We should have a vision of that throng of people in white robes who are praising God. It's very interesting. Years ago in, in uh, high school, I was in a chorus. Our school for the blind was one of uh, a number of schools for the blind up and down the East Coast that had choruses. And we came together the whole eastern seaboard of schools for the blind to sing in, in a presentation. I guess they chose Philadelphia. I don't know why, but that's where we found ourselves. Uh, and, and so we were in Philadelphia for this uh, presentation. 500 people. That was really cool because you could, you could really kind of louse up and nobody knew it because, because it, was, it was 500 voices. But just imagine in heaven, just imagine in heaven, this throng of people in white robes praising God. And, and like it says in Revelation chapter 7, uh, verse 9 and following, after this I looked and behold a great multitude from, uh, from, uh, that no one could number, that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples, and languages, we already dealt with that in Matthew 24, 14, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This should be the vision that compels us even now to reach out to all kinds of people, including the 90% of people with disabilities, and do so with the gospel of Jesus Christ and addressing the consequences of those disabilities. One person asked me, well, is this not just kind of a social gospel? I said, no way. Would you 
not feed someone who's emaciated and starving as you invite him to come to your Bible study? Would you not feed him? Do you not address then the physical needs along with the spiritual and emotional? It's the gospel. It's what Jesus did. So should we. Proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of its application to life and addressing those consequences to the best we can in Jesus' name to reduce them. That speaks of our Savior. That speaks of what God is doing. And that is what God wants to use. In Cuba, there's a revival. Not a man-made type of thing, but a real revival. Why is it happening? I honestly believe in part it's due to the fact that there are these 54 denominations cooperating to reach out and basically do, in Jesus' name, part of what Jesus did. Jesus eliminated the consequences. He did the miracles. That is not our normal experience. But we can reduce the consequences in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you thanking you for your word, thanking you for your, your love, Thanking you that you disciple us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and that you would have us then to reach out in every direction. Gospel 360. And not pass up those that need desperately to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and to have things addressed in their lives that shows your love as consequences are reduced in Jesus' name for the disabilities that they are experiencing. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.